for the month of December, our emphasis will be on the book of Jonah. And in order to really get into it, we will read it together this morning and the whole book of Jonah. And so if you look at your two pages, you see that fairly easy, we can split them up in sections, one or two paragraphs. And so we need probably eight volunteers to step to the microphone, either here or there, and read a passage. And that way we'll come to the whole book. Free feed to come to the fore. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I 
called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, Three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take away my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do not do well, to, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and it made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to seize him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. 
And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Our most merciful and glorious Father, the book of Jonah we just read in so many ways reflects the human condition and our lives in it. Here we have your calling and man's rejection of it. Us having a better way, us walking away from you. Here we read about your rescue plan, both for the sailors and for Jonah, who, after his confession, finds himself on the beach. Oh Lord, may the lesson that Pastor Andrew preaches today and those in the next weeks sink in. Make us understand the magnitude of your love for us. For your heart-rendering call, Adam, where are you, many centuries ago, still holds true today. And our eternal destiny depends on our answering it, answering it in the affirmative. Here I am, Lord, use me. This I pray in the name of Jesus, whose birth we remember and celebrate soon. Amen. Thank you, John. Did you catch John's pun, praying that the message would sink in? It's good to open God's Word with you this morning, and uh, I'm looking forward to looking at Jonah. I know uh, some of you maybe didn't see Jonah coming for an Advent series. A um, couple of reasons for it. Uh, one is just, it's a familiar story. A uh, familiar story to dive into, that's enough of the puns, uh, a familiar story to dig our, 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 you know, sink our teeth into and, and really try to understand it. And I know it's familiar because we studied it this summer as a church with our arts and recs camp. So kids, I, I'm hoping that you pay special attention. Those of you who have participated in the arts and rec camp, you have a familiarity with the story and to come back and to revisit its themes, um, and also then, secondly, to look at it through this theme of Advent. Advent, if you read the Friday letter, has to do with the coming of the Word. Uh, we think about it in terms of its first coming. We, you know, we celebrate Advent as we wait for Christmas and the celebration of Christmas, the, the first Advent of the Lord, the coming of the Word made flesh. But we also think about it in terms of the Advent of Jesus as He will come again 
And so the longing that the Old Testament felt, we feel as we wait for Jesus to come again. And as such, we are, are replaying these stories in Israel's history. Yes, I think Jonah is a historical narrative. It's a, it's a prophetic narrative uh, that recounts real events. There's all sorts of, of real details in here that make us to see this not as a fable, not just as a story with good lessons, but as an actual event that happened to a prophet named Jonah, who lived uh, during the reign of Jeroboam II, uh, somewhere between like 780 and 750 BC. Uh, and, and this story is a story that sort of keeps repeating itself or keeps unfolding, if you will, until we eventually have the coming of Jesus the first time, and then as we continue going, we have the coming of Jesus the second time. Uh, the, the third thing I'll just mention in terms of why we study it now is that the message of Jonah itself, as we'll see, and we certainly have read this whole thing, I would encourage you to continue reading through it. You can see even reading through it out loud in the way that we did takes less than 10 minutes. So uh, reread the, the story of Jonah in its entirety and just think about the various movements in the story. But this story is a story of grace. Grace that uh, is broader than anything that we could conceive. And in fact, this is one of the things that Jonah finds out. I like the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his comments on Jonah in the message, uh, his translation of the Scriptures. And you will recognize the Ephesians connection with this. Jonah sulking. Peterson says, comes from a failure of imagination as well as a failure of heart. He knew little of the heights of God's love, the depths of His mercy, and the breadth of His salvation. God had a purpose far exceeding anything that Jonah imagined. Jonah thought that he had come to Nineveh to do a religious job, but God brought Jonah to Nineveh to show him amazing grace. Uh, and that's the story that we want to inhabit this Advent season. You know, we, we think that, that God is just sort of doing a religious job, uh, that God is, you know, kind of doing his duty as the creator and the sustainer of the universe, but, but God is about far more than that. Uh, God is about bringing amazing grace uh, to a people who so desperately need it. So this morning, I, I want to dive in, and, and as we go throughout this, I'm not necessarily going to go in order, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, verse by verse, all of that, but we're going to discover certain themes as we go throughout, referring to the entirety of the story. But we are going to be largely in chapter 1 today, especially those first three verses, and also verse 9. I want to start with talking about a story of pursuit, then it'll be a story of panic, and finally it will be a story of the person and the presence. Uh, so if you like your outlines, there you go. Uh, a story of pursuit, a story of panic, and a story of a person and a presence. 
the story of pursuit. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, this is, uh, of course, one of the, the big themes of the Scripture. You go all the way back to creation, and as soon as the world fell into sin, what happened? God came, and He said, Adam, where, where are you? He was pursuing Adam. He was pursuing Eve. He was seeking to bring grace into their brokenness. And this is the same that is going on here. We see the pursuit of God, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. Now, we ask some questions. Who, who is Jonah? What do we know about Jonah other than this story? Jonah, the one who was swallowed by the fish and I am assuming is the author of this book, which is no small fact to consider. But if you turn over to 2 Kings chapter 14, and you don't necessarily need to do that, I can read it for you here, we realize that Jonah is located in history. Uh, in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, uh, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, uh, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer, which incidentally is a town just near Nazareth. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had said that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. What do we learn about the time in which Jonah was prophesying? We learn two important things. One, uh, it was not a faithful time in Israel, the northern tribes. Uh, they, were reign, they were ruled over by Jeroboam, who did not destroy the idols. In fact, he continued to worship in the, after the manner of his namesake, uh, Jeroboam I, who set up the idols from, Ban, uh, from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south. Uh, secondly, though, we recognize that it was a time of blessing for the land of Israel. Not because they were walking after the Lord, but because the Lord was faithful to them and would not forget the covenant that He had made with them even while they were not pursuing, the, uh, while they were not pursuing Yahweh. And so you have this incredible time of blessing where the borders of Israel are being extended, uh, where Jeroboam was going on these campaigns and he was winning, but he was not worshiping Yahweh. A and Jonah was the one who had the privilege at that time to make these prophecies. Uh, it was happening according to the word of uh, the Lord through his prophet Jonah. So what do you think Israel's attitude was towards Jonah? We like that guy. 
He's pretty awesome. He tells us that we are going to win. He tells us that the borders are going to be expanded, and they are. So Jonah is a popular preacher in Israel who is speaking to a nation that seems to be going okay. But God is going to pursue not only the Ninevites, and he surely does. Here we see in the opening verses of this chapter, their sin had come up before the Lord. Uh, we are told throughout the book that God cares for the Ninevites, uh, people who did not enjoy the benefits of the covenant that Israel did, but God cared for them. He cared for their city. He cared for their cattle. The compassion of God was so great. He was going to pursue the Ninevites. He's going to pursue the sailors that are on the boat with Jonah. He is going to uh, use this confrontation to call them to recognize that he is Yahweh and to make sacrifices to them. Whether we see these mariners in heaven, I do not know. I do know that there is a fly of some sort right there. Uh, but uh, whether we see them in heaven, I do not know. Uh, but they recognized Yahweh as the creator of the land and the sea, and they made sacrifice to him. So God is pursuing people who are outside of the covenant, but God is also pursuing Israel. God is also pursuing the religious. God is also pursuing those who are the recipients of his covenant blessing. How do we know that? Because Jonah is the true Israelite. Jonah is the one who uh, is the picture of Israel. And like the prophets do, they often stand in for the whole. And God is pursuing Jonah. God wants Jonah to understand just how great his compassion is. Jonah sort of knows the words, but he hasn't heard the music, so to speak, of God's grace. He hasn't learned to dance. And God wants Jonah to feel deep down into his bones, to have the experience, not just of knowing the stats on the back of the baseball card, uh, but he wants him to really know the compassionate heart of God. Sounds like an Advent message already, doesn't it? You know, God pursuing a people through a prophet, God pursuing a people in order that they could understand His grace. One writer puts it this way, of course, the book of Jonah does not proceed like a gospel to speak of the Word made flesh, Yet it does speak of the word made manifest, its intentions made clear, setting things into motion, bringing unexpected things to light. The same creative word that brought the world into being also governs history and makes its presence felt in human life, just as it quite visibly drives the events of this text. God is on the move, and he is pursuing a people, both the religious and the irreligious uh, in order to help them understand, understand his heart. But secondly, we note that it's a story of panic. A and this is where Jonah really invites us to some self-examination. Um, if we look at Jonah and we don't put ourselves in the story, 
we're, we're going to miss its impact. We're going to miss uh, what it is inviting us to understand at a deeper level. And, and what we see right away is that when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and it says, Arise, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, Jonah gets up. And he goes exactly in the opposite direction. He goes to Tarshish. It's interesting, you know, we think about a lot of things. What was Jonah doing vocationally? Jonah was prophesying. Had he ever had an experience of the word of the Lord? He seems to recognize the word of the Lord as it comes to him. But this wasn't the type of message that he was accustomed to from the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was coming to him, uh, instructing him to say these favorable things. Israel's going to win. The borders are going to be expanded. This was a popular message in the land. But now the word of the Lord comes and says something quite to the contrary. Uh, And Jonah doesn't like it. He hears God, get up, go. Jonah gets up and he goes, but he goes away and he goes away from the presence of the Lord. You notice that that is emphasized again. Think about Jonah as the author of this. Jonah is doing some self-reflection. Jonah is doing uh, some... Uh, honest confession here. He's saying, I I was in a bad spot. And, And when I heard the word of the Lord, I got up and went away, away from the presence of the Lord. And then from a literary perspective, we see Jonah's descent. He, he keeps going down over and over again. In chapter 1, we're told that Jonah went down. He went down into the ship. He went down into a deep sleep. It's not just even an ordinary sleep here. This is like a, an anesthetic sleep. Jonah was anesthetizing himself to the word of the Lord. He was descending deep. Uh, he gets down then under the waves. We're told in chapter 2, he goes down to the very gates of Sheol. He is going as far as he can away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah wants no part of the Lord. Jonah is on the run. Now, why is this? Well, on the one hand, we can understand it. Uh, Jonah is called to go to the Assyrians. Now, we're a little bit ahead of Assyria being the bitter, bitter enemy of Israel. We're a couple generations yet before Israel is brought into captivity by the Babylonians, the Assyrians. Uh, So, uh, we're, we're a little bit ahead of that sort of direct enemy phase. Nonetheless, Assyria is a world power. Uh, Assyria is extending their own borders, which is why they weren't focused on Israel at this particular time. Assyria was known to be a very violent people. Uh, We know from the book of Nahum and other places that they would take captives and they would lead them by fish hooks through their noses and uh, those types of things. So they were a very violent people. So for Jonah to be called to go there uh, would have been a very frightening thing. But we also know that that's not why Jonah didn't want to go. 
We, we know that because he tells us in chapter 4, verse 2, why he didn't want to go. What does he say there in chapter 4, verse 2? This is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because I knew that you were a compassionate God and that you were full of mercy. And I knew that if I went there and preached that you might save the Ninevites. I knew that if I went there and preached, not only would these enemies perhaps come into the family of God, but that also wouldn't be a very popular thing among these Israelites with whom I have immense popularity because even though they're worshiping idols, their borders are being extended. Jonah had to wrestle deep within himself with the reality of who God is, who He is, what the message is, who's included, all of these different things. Jonah's wrestling with it, and Jonah is trying to escape God. It's really interesting. Again, Jonah knows all the answers. We're going to see that in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah has all the answers, and yet he tries to escape God. One writer puts it this way, the Lord of Israel is an inescapable God, and Jonah probably knew that. But Jonah tries to flee to a distant city of where Yahweh of Israel is unknown, where the society knows nothing of God's word spoken through his prophets and psalmists, where the covenant with Israel is not acknowledged, and where other gods and other commitments guide daily life. Jonah can place himself outside of the elect people. He can live with a people for whom, for whom Yahweh is not Lord, much like people in our days can choose to immerse themselves in a totally secular culture a place where God and God's word are unknown, ignored, forgotten. That is the, that is the society that Jonah uh, seeks. It is a good picture of our modern preference for such a society. I think it's good at this point to stop and to say it's, it's not just our modern preference. It's not just the people outside of church that are seeking uh, a place that is apart from the presence of God. But like Jonah is the religious and he is the one who is in focus, I think the invitation is to us, uh, to us personally, to us as a church. Right, where are we like Jonah on the run? Where are we like Jonah, seeking to distance ourselves from the disruptive call of God in our life to extend the borders, not of nationalistic Israel, but to extend the borders of God's kingdom, to extend the borders to a people who are unlike Jonah, to a people who are possibly at enmity with Jonah. You know, one of the things that makes this story very relevant is thinking about the location of ancient Nineveh. The location of ancient Nineveh is an Iraqi town named Mosul. What would it be like for you 
for me to hear the call of the Lord to go to ISIS-controlled towns, to bring the word to those who are embedded in Islam. It, it makes us understand just a little bit some of the tension here and, and some of our own sort of Jonah likenesses. We, we like it when the borders of Israel are extended. We, we, we like it when, when the word seems favorable to us and, and to our people. But when the word presses a little bit and says, what about these others? What about these who are at enmity with you? And I think each of us has to reckon with this in our own sort of vocational sense. Because clearly, uh, not all of us are called to go into Muslim-dominated territories, though some of us uh, have been, some of us may be. Maybe we need to consider those types of things or other places, you know, secular uh, foreign places, we think of places like, you know, North Korea or China, different places like that. What, what does it mean for God to call us out of our comfort zone? But what does it mean for God to call us out of our comfort zone even right here, right in our neighborhoods, right in our schools? Kids, you know this story. And, and what, is, what is the message of Jonah to you? Who, who are the Ninevites that God is calling you to in your neighborhoods or in your schools? This is the invitation. This is the penetrating question that God gives to each of us. I, I like the way that this one writer puts uh, these types of questions. She's actually not commenting on uh, the story of Jonah, but she is commenting on the story of Moses. But she says this, While you won't be given more than you can bear, you will be led by a way that you do not know to be a channel for grace in ways that you cannot adequately predict. While you will not be given more than you can bear, you will be led by ways that you do not know to be a channel for grace in ways that you cannot adequately predict. Do we, do we believe that? Do we believe that God is working in your life? You know, whether you are in your 70s, whether you are in your 40s, your 20s, your teens, you know, that, that God is, is using you, preparing you to be a channel for grace in the most unexpected of places, perhaps in the most unexpected of ways. A story of pursuit, a story of panic on the part of Jonah. He goes in the opposite ways. But finally, it's a, it's a story of personhood and a story of presence. I already read to you uh, verse 9. 
Jonah says to the mariners, they're like, hey, who, what's going on? Tell us who you are. Uh, you're down sleeping. We're all in terror here. And again, these are people that are used to being on the seas, and yet they are filled with terror for what is going on. Who are you? Tell us. What people are you? Jonah says to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Two things that Jonah does here that are are really, really important to us. One, Jonah has to deal with his identity. He has to deal with who he is. And when he says, I am a Hebrew, he's not just simply speaking of his ethnicity. The, the, The Jewish people never could because they were so tied up into the story. You know, when he says, I am a Hebrew, he is importing all of it into it. He is importing uh, his descendancy from Abraham, the one who God made the covenant with. He's uh, importing his descendancy from Sarah, the one who was barren, who God wrought a miracle in in order to even bring this nation into his existence. He's importing the, the fact that he was rescued from, uh, from Egypt by God through the mighty acts, through all that God wrought in destroying Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He's importing the idolatry of, of Israel. You know, in Exodus chapter 32, when they forsake God and they build the golden calves, Mo, uh, Jonah is saying a lot here. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Notice in your Bible there, it's, it's all capital L-O-R-D. That means I fear Yahweh. I fear the covenant God, the one who has not abandoned us, the one who has bound himself uh, to a people who will continually go away. And Jonah has to deal with that. And Jonah has to deal with who he is before the Lord. And we'll see a lot of that when we look a little bit closer at at chapter 2, where he talks about uh, who he is, what he's done, how far he's gone away. But this is part of what the invitation is for us this Advent season. Who are you? Who are you before the Lord? Who are you before Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the one who has made the earth and the, the, uh, the seas as well? Who are you? Do you recognize what God has done in your life or are you just going in your own direction? Do you recognize the intervention of the Lord in your life or are you hell-bent on your own plans, your own ideas? just going uh, your own way. Part of what this story wants us to do is stop and say, who are we? And then to acknowledge who is he? Who is this Lord? Who is this Yahweh? I've already said he's the covenant-keeping one. He is the one who pursues a people. He is the one that we saw in Ephesians is above all principalities and powers, both in this age and in the age to come. This is the one who made the sea and the dry land. You notice these mariners, when they hear who Yahweh is, they immediately 
immediately, they immediately begin to worship him and they fear him. Jonah says he fears Yahweh, but does he really? He, he knows the words, but I think he is just getting in, into that place. But this is, this is who Yahweh is, this immense, this big, but he is also the one who is bringing his presence to bear in Jonah's life, in the life of Israel, in the life of you and I. Think about Psalm 139, verse 14. There's this uh, great, great passage. Actually, verse 7, sorry. Uh, the psalmist says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Uh, and he goes on and on. And this is what Jonah is discovering. I can never get away from the presence of God. God's presence is everywhere. His presence is with me in Israel. If I seek to flee for, to Tarshish, it is there. If I descend beneath the waves of the sea, it is there. If I go to Nineveh, if I go outside of Nineveh, I can never get away from the presence of God. And it's this presence of God that eventually brings Jonah to himself. Because Jonah, after all, is the one who is telling these tales. Jonah, after all, is the one who is inviting us to take a look at this God. And this is the story of the first advent. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. You see, there was another prophet from near gath Hephar, and his name was Jesus. And he came and he brought the word of the Lord into the presence of a people. And he made the people look at themselves and understand what was their relationship to this God. Would I accept him? Would I reject him? Would I draw near? Would I push him away? Would I be open to the incredible grace that he was offering, not just to us, his chosen people, but also to them, those others? Would I be open to him? Would I accept him, receive him full of grace and truth. And that's our invitation this Advent season. For Jesus has come bringing the Word in all of its fleshly uh, veracity, bringing the Word, bringing it all the way to a cross in order that He might show forth the magnanimous depths of His heart, in order to save not only the irreligious who are far away, but also to save those religious who are uh, near, 
but they still haven't been overwhelmed by the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, as we go forward, this is an invitation to draw near, to draw near to the heart of God. May it be so this Advent season. Lord, we thank you for this word, the coming word, uh, the word that comes to Jonah, the prophet, the word that came flesh through Jesus, the true Israelite, the prophet who would go to the cross on our behalf. Lord, we pray that as we begin to engage this book in full over the next month, that you would engage our hearts, that you would open them to this truth, uh, and that we would find in you a God uh, who takes us by paths we do not know, but uses us as channels for grace uh, that we could hardly even anticipate. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing in response Trinity Hymnal 196, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Let's stand together uh, in body and or spirit.